Let me ask you this morning, if you're here with us, to uh, turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you've not brought a Bible, uh, there are some provided in the pews there for you. And I would encourage you strongly to uh, find one and to turn there with us. 2 Timothy is a small letter. It's toward the very end of your Bibles, nearing the end of your New Testaments. We've not been preaching through 2 Timothy, but um, we're going to turn to chapter 2. We're going to take a break from our current study and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 because we want to consider some things about what Paul says about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but then also to see how in certain circumstances the Apostle Paul applies those truths to his life. So what difference does the resurrection make for us today, this morning? Um, A question before we begin, uh, and it is simply, where are you? You know, it's Easter today, and um, there's lots of fun pastel colors and uh, Easter baskets and Uh, Candy for the children. There's lots of festivities. Perhaps you're thinking even now of the things that uh, have to be fixed for the family meal that that will be taking place at some point later today. Maybe there is the festivity of family in town, or maybe you're the family that has traveled from far and wide to come and visit with other family. And so there's a great deal of excitement and a great deal of celebration. But where where are you this morning? I, I wonder that I wonder how many of us would say, you know, all of the celebration is lost a bit on me today. You know, because because I I look, you know, like I'm celebrating Easter and and and, and I'm here at church this morning and I'm going to put on a smile at the family function and and all of those kinds of things. But but I'm really struggling And, and, and the circumstances of my life this morning are just like they were yesterday when it wasn't Easter. And are just like they're going to be tomorrow after Easter is over. And the difficulty that is raging in my life today from yesterday and that will continue into this week is raging even now and even this morning. And maybe the celebration is a bit lost on you this morning. Well, I want to encourage you to find um, some comfort in what Paul is going to say from Second Timothy. And I want to encourage you to think carefully about what sort of hope the resurrection brings. How it is that the doctrine of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, as delivered by Paul in these verses and also throughout the scriptures, how it is that that impacts your daily life? How does it inform the way that you and I as Christians deal with the adversities of our daily lives? Because see, Paul is here writing a letter to a younger man in the faith, his sort of son in the faith, Timothy, who is serving as a pastor and a leader in the New Testament church. And as a pastor and as a leader, he is going to suffer all sorts of difficulties and all sorts of frustrations and all sorts of sufferings and all sorts of adversities. And the primary aim is that Paul wants Timothy to press on and to persevere and to suffer well. It's one of the reasons that he's writing this letter. But it's not just to Timothy. As this letter was intended to be read publicly and corporately for the body of Christ together. So also he intends to encourage 
all believers, both at this time throughout Asia Minor and for us even today, to reorient our thinking about our adversity. So I want you to see from Paul this morning as he is sitting at this point in a Roman prison cell, suffering terrible injustice, looking at dark and damp, stinky walls, possibly with, you know, rusted chains and shackles, bound for crimes that he has not committed, facing execution and death at the hands of pagans. When we get to 2 Timothy chapter 2, writing from his prison cell, you find him celebrating the resurrection, glorying in the truth of the resurrection, not looking inwardly as suffering and adversity tends to cause us to do. Naval you know, gazing, as one of my seminary professors used to say, staring at our belly buttons, looking at ourselves and our circumstances and our lives and the tragedy or the difficulty or the pain, being driven into despair and depression and all of those things. He is looking out, and we'll see that. And in looking out, he's looking at Jesus, and he's looking at the church, the the people of Christ, and he is greatly encouraged by the truth of the resurrection. And we find in 2 Timothy chapter 2, a Paul imprisoned, enchained, under injustice and suffering great adversity, encouraged and glorifying God, not looking at himself, but looking out because of the doctrine of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 8. Before we do that, let's pray. God in heaven, we, we, we come now to your word. We need it because it's a light unto our feet. It's a lamp unto our path. It's the direction for our lives. God, and, and by that light and that lamp, you lead us to Christ through it. God, we need your word this morning. We need it to encourage our heart this this Easter holiday. And so, God, we pray that you would open our eyes as we read, that you would open our minds as we read and study together, that you would reveal to us the truth that only you can, that you would plant it deep within our hearts and our souls, that it would take that it would take root there, and that it would transform us into the image of Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we read. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, so we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This may not seem like a typical Easter Sunday morning passage to you, but I hope to show you this morning that there are some 
incredible encouragements to be found from these verses, particularly as we seek to understand and apply the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of its truth to our lives. I want us to begin uh, by considering what the Apostle Paul says about the nature of the gospel. It's going to be a two-point sermon, two primary divisions, and he begins by making this statement that the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is central to the gospel. So point number one, the centrality of the resurrection to the gospel. Look at how he begins. Sitting in his Roman prison cell, seeking to use his example and even from his circumstance in his writing to encourage other Christians to suffer well, he says, remember, remember. Right off the bat, and he says, remember Jesus Christ. We'll see that in a moment. But just, just make a note here. He doesn't call them to feel anything. He doesn't call them to go anywhere. He calls them to renew their minds. He calls Christians to think. Guys, we live in an age of unthinking churches and of unthinking church people. We live in an age where it is poo-pooed, if you will. It is looked down upon for people to highly prize theological education, to to spend many, many hours in their study trying to exegete and understand academically and theologically the Word of God to, to, to be able to disseminate that to other people and to educate other people with it. Guys, we have to be Christians that think. If you want to suffer well, he says, remember You've got to think carefully and remember carefully and diligently those things, those mighty things that God has done for you in the past. I mean, if you just take a a macro view, a a 30,000 foot kind of view of the Bible, one of the main purposes of all of the Old Testament is to do what? It's to show us what God's done, lest we forget Again and again and again, from Old Testament to New, the people of God are commanded, not only encouraged, but are commanded by God through his apostles, through the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember, to remember who he is, to remember what he's done, to look back on his mighty and wondrous deeds, because in forgetting, we lose our way. We forget who he is. We forget how he's worked. We forget where we were and where we are now and how we got there. That is through the miraculous working and provision of God. So he begins and he says, guys, if you want to suffer well, remember. You can only only imagine the Apostle Paul in this prison cell, right? What do you think he was doing? Dwelling in his mind moment by moment on his circumstances, looking at his chains and frustration, you know, dangling them, seeing how far he could go looking at the walls, looking at the the soldiers that guarded the door. I mean, I'm sure those things pressed heavy on his heart and his mind and his psyche. I, I know that they did. But the way that he got to where he is in 2 Timothy chapter 2 with this kind of suffering mentality with joy and with hope was to remember what God had done in his life. Remember. I don't know how often you stop and think. But if you hadn't stopped and thought in a while, let me encourage you to do that today. And you can begin by following Paul's encouragement here. What does he say? Remember, think carefully, don't forget Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And then he gives these two qualifying statements. Number one, 
risen from the dead, and number two, the offspring of David. Now, I talk with a great many people about who Jesus Christ is. I'm regularly trying as a pastor to educate people about the gospel, and I'm regularly trying to find opportunities to engage with individuals in the church and outside of the church as to what they believe about Jesus Christ. Because what you believe about Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. Life or death, heaven or hell. So I'm always engaging with people about who Jesus is. And guys, it's unbelievable to me how often the responses start out something like this. Well, I like to think of Jesus as. Normally what follows that statement is heretical. So many people, sadly enough, in the church and outside... They claim to believe in Jesus and they claim to serve and trust Jesus. And it is a Jesus, but it is not the Jesus of the Bible. It is a Jesus of their imagination because it's how they like to think of him as. Paul is getting at something here that is profoundly important, even if it is simple. And that is that there is a reality to Jesus Christ. And that if you are going to know him, both in the benefit of his suffering and in the power of his resurrection, you must know him as he actually is. I mean, I tell you guys all the time, if you go out in the community and you say, well, I love that Aaron. I like to think of him as, you know, tall, dark and handsome and, you know, six, two with no glasses. I don't know who you're talking about, but it's not me. There is a reality to me. And if you are to know me, it is only as I am. Well, how much more so with Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God? We either take Christ and understand Him as He has been revealed to us in the Word of God, as He actually is, or we serve some figment of our imaginations. And guys, the reason that's so important for Paul, even here, is because the figment of your imagination will not save you. Whatever that Jesus does for you, It will fall woefully short when you stand before the judgment seat of God in eternity. When you stand before his throne in judgment, that figment of your imagination will do nothing to benefit your soul. But look at these two realities. It's it's quite interesting here, just a note of exegesis. When you read 2 Timothy, almost exclusively Paul is going to call him Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ. But in calling Christians to remember and think carefully about specific doctrinal truths regarding Jesus so that they could be encouraged by him, he flip-flops the order. And he says, remember Jesus Christ. The reason he does that here is because he wants to focus upon the first reality and then subsequently the second reality. Jesus is his human name given to him at birth and corresponds to what you find here next risen from the dead. That is in bodily form, in his human form. He was raised from the dead. It's not like Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead, as some people would say, and just his spirit lives on. It's not the case. And so Jesus here is human name given to him at his human birth corresponds to the resurrection. And then Christ is his messianic title, right? The the divine title that identifies the man, Jesus, as the long-anticipated Messiah of old. The, the, the hope of God's people from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through. The one promised in Genesis 3.15 and prophesied all through the pages of Scripture. 
the descendant of David. Okay, so that the Christ, the messianic title, corresponds to the second qualifier that you see there in verse 8. Jesus Christ, Jesus risen from the dead, Christ, the offspring of David. And so he uses this unusual order, at least it's unusual in terms of what he's doing in 2 Timothy, because he wants to highlight these two realities. And I want us to focus on the first one. Guys, he put it first for a reason. He flip-flopped the titles here for a reason. Because the hope that Paul has as he is suffering in a Roman prison cell, looking at execution and death, the hope in the greatest of adversity is for the Apostle Paul seated in, that is, grounded or rooted in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, him being bodily brought from the grave. Why? Well, because like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, excuse me, that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And then he goes on to say, and we, that is those that trust in him and hope in him, are above all people most to be pitied. Have you ever thought about that? What he says is that if the resurrection had not taken place and there had been no empty tomb, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross meant nothing. Because he's still dead. He's still dead. Death and sin would have won. And it would have been the victor. And it would have reigned and conquered. But for Paul here, it's more than simply this historical reality. It is that. The resurrection of of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to life again. It substantiated all of his claims that he ever made. It proved that he was divine. It proved that he was God and from God. And it proved that he was the Messiah. The resurrection also historically establishes the truth of Christianity as the unique and exclusive working of God to save sinners and redeem them. Do you know that there's not another single solitary world religion whose Messiah and Savior and King was raised from the dead? None. It is the exclusive claim of the Jesus of Scripture. And so Paul's first point is that if, like so many, you seek to deny the resurrection, you obliterate the gospel altogether. Some people believe in all, there's all sorts of crazy theories about what really happened to Jesus. We've gone over those some. That the disciples came and stole his body to make it look like he was raised and they buried it somewhere else. Or that he's really still there and we just had the wrong grave and went to the wrong place or they buried him and didn't tell us. Or that he was never really dead, that he was just almost dead. And so he just had a bit of a rest in the tomb and then he finally got his strength back and had some healing and he just got up and walked out because he never really died. There are all sorts of crazy theories, but the reality is for the apostle Paul that there is no gospel if there is no resurrection. And the reason is not because it testifies to these space-time historical realities, but because the resurrection alone testifies to the power of God in and through the gospel. In other words, the gospel that we believe, the power to accomplish what we hope and think that it accomplishes 
is dependent upon the power of God at work in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not a power that once was. It's not the power of God that worked on that day in that tomb to resurrect that person. The verb that Paul uses here, and we don't talk too much about Greek verbs around here, but it's important that we understand that he uses a particular type and tense of verb. It's a perfect Greek verb, which means not only that he was raised, but that he is still raised, and that the raising power was both effective and present on that day and is a continuing and working reality indefinitely into the future and never ended. And so we see this power of God to do what? Number one. It was essential to the gospel because it is essential to our hope of the resurrection from physical death and pain. Look, I don't know about you, but I look forward to a day when cancer cannot win. I look forward to a day when there is no pain and suffering and hurt and bad shoulders and bad knees and, you know, influenza and, and all. I mean, I cannot wait until we are not decaying and dying. And and part of my hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is power, the power of God through and in the person of Jesus Christ to be the victor over physical death. Do you know the only evidence of that victory that we have? Because though death won a small victory on the cross, death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. And that it was not ultimately the victor. Because God is greater than death. And because God expresses his power over physical death and decay in the resurrection of Jesus. But the second thing, it is essential and central to the gospel. Not only because it is power to deliver us from physical death. But because in the resurrection we see the power to save from spiritual death and destruction. You know, much more than my desire to see my body fixed is to see my soul delivered. The wages of sin is death. And Adam and Eve, as as we've been studying in our men's Bible study, they they did not die physically that day, the day that they sinned. But they were separated from God in a spiritual death that they had never known before. Look, I, I don't know many of you that are in this room today. I don't know if there's ever been a time in your life when you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you've repented of your sins. I don't know where you are with with Jesus. But what I can tell you is this, and you know it, you're a sinner. And just like Adam and Eve, your sin has separated you from God in a spiritual death that you cannot even fathom. And the reason the resurrection matters is because Jesus then becomes the example, the basis, and the first fruits of your only hope. And mine. If we're not looking to Jesus and the power of God at work in raising him to redeem and to deliver our souls from being separated in eternity from God, then they will never be redeemed and delivered. And that separation will be eternal. All of these things are rooted in the resurrection. And so he begins simply by stating that it is central to the gospel. You got to know that he makes the payment, if you will, on the cross as he dies and he bears God's wrath. 
But how do you and I have any way of knowing whether or not that payment was received or that it was received in full, that the payment was sufficient? You know, the only way we know, because when that payment was made, the death of Christ, Jesus was then brought to new life. He was raised from the grave because he had completely appeased the wrath of God against sin. It was no more. The payment had been received in full and it was a sufficient payment. Romans 6, chapter 4 and following says, We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life or in this new life. So you see that our only hope, if we hope in Christ, that by trusting in Christ, that we will both be delivered from physical and spiritual destruction. The only reason that we have to believe that is the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, let me encourage you. You need to learn it, know it, love it, and tell everybody else about it. This day is a day worth celebrating. That Jesus is risen from the grave. Because without that, the gospel means nothing. It is central. But secondly and quickly, what I want you to see is not only that it's central to the gospel, but I want you to consider something of the central of the resurrection to our lives. That is today. So that these resurrection truths, they're not just something that we hope is going to benefit us in the end. They're not just nuggets of the gospel that we put in our pocket and then we stand before God and say, oh yeah, we believe that stuff and we know that you did that. And so now that's going to be to our eternal benefit. And by the way, if you continue reading here, when he talks about he is suffering, verse 9, bound in chains as a criminal, you ask the question, how do I know the truth of the gospel? How do I make sure that I don't finish, you know, make statements like, well, I like to think of Jesus as and then make it up? How do we know who Jesus is and what God's done in and through him? Well, you look to the word of God. What does he say? Though I am bound in chains, the word of God is not bound. So you're here this morning and you say, well, I don't, I don't know if I believe all the things that you're saying. Let me encourage you to take whatever it is that you believe about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and compare it to what God says it is. Look to his word and constrain your beliefs by his word. He says it's not in chains, the word of God, that it teaches us these truths. But then look at verse 10. Paul then begins to take these gospel truths, these resurrection realities, if you will, and he applies them to his life. He says, therefore, I endure. On the basis of these truth claims, I now endure. And his point is not just that I grit and bear it, but that I'm going to suffer in a certain way. These truth claims cause me to reorient my thinking and to reorient my vision and to reorient the way that I suffer, the way that I deal with adversity. So if you're here this morning on Easter and you'd say, there's not a lot of cause for joy in my life today. Let me, let me encourage you to hear Paul's, hear Paul's words here, to reorient and to begin to see your adversity through the lens of the resurrection and in the midst of your adversity to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's exactly what he does. He says what? Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect 
that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see the first thing that he says? He says, I'm going to now suffer differently because of the resurrection and because of what I now know about the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, if I am going to identify with the, the victory of Christ, it's only going to be, the Bible says, insofar as we identify with the sufferings of Christ. Now that changes the game because no longer are my sufferings because of a God that's mad at me. No longer are my sufferings just because I'm a stupid failure and sinner, which I am. And certainly those failures bring a lot of suffering and adversity into my life. But do you see what Paul's saying in identifying both with the suffering of Jesus and with the subsequent glory of Christ and victory of the resurrection, we are able to see, first of all, that we are serving the purposes of God in suffering. He identifies with the power of God to make it purposeful. The purpose of God in his suffering. As I said a moment ago, the tendency for all of us when we suffer is to do what? Woe is me. I mean, maybe you're not like me, but that's my tendency. I don't want to speak for you. We dwell on how bad it is for me and how problematic tomorrow is going to be and how, I, how much joy I lack in my life today. All of these things that we dwell on, they're all about us. You say, well, how does Paul get to where he suffers like this in this terrible adversity in this way? The answer is, at least in part, in identifying with Christ's sufferings and seeing his sufferings in light of sharing in the sufferings of Christ, he identifies with the purpose of God in that suffering. What does Paul say? Therefore, I endure all of these things for the sake of the body. I endure all of these things for the sake of God's chosen. I endure all of these things for the church that Christ came to suffer and deliver. Suffer for and deliver. Do you see what he says? He picks his eyes up off of his navel and he begins to look out at the way God uses the greatest suffering the world ever saw to bring about the greatest good sinners could ever know. Do you see? He looks to the model of Jesus. And he says, wait a minute, in the perfect, redemptive, eternal plans of a sovereign God, he brought about, orchestrated, and delivered Jesus unto these sufferings, not because he hated him, not because he was angry with him, but because there was a people that he loved that he wanted to redeem. And Paul says, look, if I can identify my sufferings with the sufferings of Christ, my master, then I can begin to see that just like God's purposes for the greatest good were at work in the sufferings of Jesus, my suffering is not in vain either. Let me ask you this morning, whatever adversity you're facing, Whatever suffering you'll face tomorrow, whatever suffering and adversity you face this past week, do you believe that you suffer in vain? That it's for nothing? Or do you, or do you believe that through these fires, God is refining you? And not only your own personal benefit, but that in your suffering, God is going to build the church. You say, well, how does that happen? I'm not Jesus. No, you're not. And neither am I. But when we suffer like this, when we suffer with a different hope, 
And when the world around us and when the people that sit on the pew next to you and when the visitors that come into this congregation, when they see the suffering and adversity of your life, but they see the unsurpassing joy of your soul, they say, man, I don't get it. I don't understand how you can suffer like that. I don't understand how this adversity is not weighing heavier upon you. You can say, well, I'm hoping in Christ and he was raised from the dead. And I know that this suffering will not end and be the end. That it will not be victorious. And we'll come to that in just a moment. But I'm, I'm suffering with an eye to heaven and with my eyes on Christ, knowing that God means these things in my life to build me up and to make me more like Jesus and to be a testimony to Christ to you. Paul says, I suffer all these things. And if I can paraphrase, with a smile on my face, with genuine and sincere joy in my heart, because I'm suffering all of them like Christ for the sake of the elect of God. Guys, let me just encourage you this morning. If you could get to where we, if we can get to where we see our adversity like that. That God means all of these adversities to build me up in Christ, to make me more like him in sanctification and righteousness, and to build up and sanctify the church. I can suffer those things. But not only does he identify with the purpose of God in suffering, by identifying his sufferings with the sufferings of Christ, he identifies also with the power of God. The suffering of Christ on the cross was not the end because we have the empty tomb. Because the power of God worked that day to raise him from the grave. And if the first aspect is to answer the question, is my suffering in vain? The answer to that certainly is no. When we begin to see our sufferings in light of the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glory and victory of the resurrection, then we can say not only is it not in vain, it will not be victorious. Let me ask you this morning. Do you think that the pain and the adversity and the suffering of your life is winning? And look, I understand. You might say, listen, I am dying. Maybe it's a physical adversity that can and will and may kill you. But is it winning? Will death and pain and suffering and adversity in your life be the victor. If you're suffering in and with Christ, the answer for the Apostle Paul is certainly no. Why? As the master suffered, so too shall his servants. But what does he say here? Look down at the end of this as he breaks into this, this poem, this hymn. This trustworthy saying that if we died with him, we also shall live with him. That in identifying with the suffering of Christ, we are able to identify with the power of God at work in the resurrection of Christ. Look, guys, I'm not seeking this morning to downplay the difficulty of anyone's situation this morning. Or the tragedy that your family faces. Those circumstances are real and valid and difficult. I'm simply asking you to think about them in light of Jesus. 
Guys, certainly we can suffer with Christ if we know that in Christ, the suffering will come to an end and it will give way to life. I've said it once, I've said it many times before, and I'll continue to say it as long as God gives me the breath and the ability to preach. And that is that the Bible teaches us that the road to glory is paved with the bricks of suffering. Can you believe that? Today's Easter. Let me encourage you this Easter to take your eyes off yourself and to look up, to see the empty tomb, to see the resurrected and exalted and victorious Lord Jesus Christ, and to see that in the midst of your difficulty, God is using your testimony of trust and faith in him to build his people. God is using your suffering to glorify and sanctify you. And ultimately in Christ, he is telling you there is coming a day when the suffering shall end. And guys, when it ends, according to the gospel, it will give way to glory. Let me encourage you today no matter what the circumstances of your day may be or what your life are, to celebrate the resurrection. To remember what God has done. To remember Jesus Christ. And to think carefully. Think carefully about the resurrection and then beat it into your heart and beat it into your mind and beat it into your soul until you believe it. Guys, if you're here this morning and you say, I, I don't know anything about the suffering of Christ or the resurrection of Christ because I, I've never truly believed in Christ. Let today be the day to, to know that your suffering can have purpose, can be used not only for your good and for the good of other people, but for the glory of God. Guys, wherever you are, let me tell you, look to Jesus today. Repent of your sins, trust in Christ and be saved and suffer differently. Let's pray. Um, God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior who came and was humbled and took on human flesh and died the death that we should have died upon the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. But God, we thank you all the more that your power was at work in him, bringing victory over death and hell and sin and the grave. God, and we know that because of the resurrection of Christ. And so I pray this morning, as we sing, as we talk, as we continue to think and remember all the things that we've said and the things that you've done, God, that you would help us to look to Christ and to celebrate his resurrection. God, give us an opportunity to encourage someone this morning, someone this afternoon, someone this week with the truths of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, and by them, may we be encouraged to trust you in the midst of adversity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.